Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Hey, well, good morning. Uh, as Andrew said, we got a baptism, and so I know there's a lot of visitors here today, so we're really glad uh, really glad that you're here. Hope you feel welcome. And I also want to say good morning to our live streamers. I hope you're having a good morning. And uh, really for our live streamers, could you drop us an email? One of the weird things about this season is that like, I don't know who's on the other side of that camera, which is kind of strange. I know my parents are, but, uh, um, but we'd love to hear from you. Okay. Last weekend, Heather kicked off. You can see here uh, a new series. We're looking at the New Testament book or New Testament letter. Uh, of First Thessalonians, and as always, she did a really excellent job setting up our series entitled "In the Meantime," and we chose that title because uh, this letter was written by Paul to a young church that had uh, said yes, had embraced the gospel, the good news, the message of Jesus, and in doing that, and in, in, in choosing to believe to follow Jesus, it really had unleashed significant opposition and persecution on this this new church primarily from the religious leaders uh, in, in the area. And we actually see the backstory of Thessalonians in Acts 17. And uh, part of the story, really, I think the primary reason for a lot of the opposition, uh, we see here, listen to this from Acts 17, verse 6. Here's where we hear the religious leaders. They're literally shouting this. These men, and they're pointing at Paul and Silas, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here and Jason, poor Jason, has welcomed them into his house. They, Jason, Paul, Silas, all these new believers, they are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. So what's happening here? Well, remember that the message of Jesus, this, you know, it's an invitation to restored relationship between us and God both in this life and, and forever in the, in the next life. And in order to receive, in order to say yes to God's invitation, it, it meant then and it means today really a, a turning, a forsaking of all other idols, all other gods, if you will. It's really, it really is to follow Jesus. It's, it's really like a declaration of allegiance to only follow Jesus and to only bow to Jesus and do our best each day to obey and follow his example. So really one of the prime issues in Thessalonians was the issue of allegiance. This young church, they'd made a decision to follow Jesus. And in this, com this community, that meant they had turned and now were walking against the very strong current of the culture that they lived in. Uh, and that for them, that meant it, it really impacted probably every aspect of their lives. It would have impacted their ability to do business. So much of business was wrapped around, you know, their religious uh, practices, etc. It would have impacted relationships. They would have lost friends. It would have, they would have been on the outs politically. They would have been on the outs religiously. And for some, we'll see a little later on in this letter, it actually cost them their lives to say yes to Jesus. And so in this very pressurized environment, Paul reminds them, Hey, now remember you guys, the gospel message was and is uh, really the, it's the promise of Jesus that one day he's going to come back. He's going to come back and he's going to gather up all his followers and he's going to take them to that eternal place that he has made for them. And we all know he's talking about Narnia, of course. Uh, and, and so this letter was written by Paul around AD 50 
or 51, somewhere around there. And so what that means is, this is really significant. That means that we're like within 20 years of Jesus being on the earth and really in making that very promise to return. And so uh, Paul was writing this letter to encourage them to not lose hope, to not lose faith uh, in the meantime. As they live with this uh, opposition, this growing persecution, uh, as they live awaiting the return of Jesus. And, and I think when I look at Thessalonians, I, I, I don't just think, I believe that's very relevant to the times that we live in. Because just like the church in Thessalonica, we, we too live in the meantime. Uh, we too live at a time and in a world where there is very real opposition, very, I would say, growing opposition to our faith. Now, I don't know, are we facing persecution? In my opinion, I don't think so. Compared to uh, our brothers and sisters around the world, I, I wouldn't say we've faced a lot of persecution, but definitely a lot of opposition. And I would say this is getting more personal. I think it's getting harder and harder uh, to believe that God really is in control. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever have that thought go through your mind? Uh, to believe that the church really is uh, victorious. It's, there's something about social media, uh, this nonstop, up-to-the-minute report on all the evil, all the disasters, all the, you know, all, the, all the brokenness, all the heartbreaks, all the failures of political leaders, church leaders, on and on, all the, really all the brokenness of humanity. Uh, can really wear on your faith. And, and so Paul writes this letter to this young church and, and to us to really teach us how to stay in the game, how to keep our eyes on Jesus, how to, if you were here last weekend, uh, Heather said, how to actually have joy in the midst of suffering, or another way to put that, in the midst of the meantime struggles. So that's where I'm going today. Hopefully that makes sense. Uh, let's pray. And then we'll uh, continue with the talk here today. So Lord, I, uh, I thank you for, uh, for today. I thank you for a beautiful morning. I thank you for family and friends. Uh, I, I'm so grateful for everyone that's here, but especially those who have come to be baptized, especially those who have come to support those who are getting baptized. I pray, God, that, um, I pray that your presence would be very real, very very powerful, would be very personal. I think that many people that, like, you're here today for a very special reason, and God has something special for you. So, Lord, would you come and just, um, just move among us as we have this time together? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, <clears throat> I'm going to take pick up from where Heather ended last weekend. She ended at the end of chapter one. Uh, but before I read, it's a little bit of a, it's a longer section. Before I read it, I want to remind us, because I think this context is really helpful. Like when the, the church in Thessalonica, they weren't reading the Bible and reading the book of Thessalonians, right? They were reading a letter. It was a letter that Paul had written to them. And, and so the practice would be someone, just like I'm going to do here in a sec, someone would stand up and just say, okay, here's the letter we just got from Paul. And they would read the letter to the people. And so just keep that context in mind. It really gives it a, a personal feel. So here's our passage for today. First uh, Thessalonians 2, 1 to 12. Here we go. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. 
On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children or gentle among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Okay, that's a, that's a chunk. Now, when you read the Bible, it's always good as you're going through a section to look for uh, repetitive words or phrases or ideas. And, and really, it's one of the ways that we get a sense, we, we really get to dig in on, okay, what was Paul what was behind what he was saying? What was he saying to the original hearers of this letter? And so last week, part of my practice before I preach is I'll just read the section over and over and over. And I hope you notice that I underlined certain sections because these were sections that, as I read it through, just you know, really jumped out at me. Uh, five times Paul talked about the gospel or sharing the gospel in some way. And so when I look at you know, the, what I just read to you, here, here's what really came through in that passage. Uh, it's, it, notice that he talks about it. He talks about the gospel in a way that says this. Hey, church, uh, whether you are facing opposition or being slandered, accused of being a fake or a shyster, going after people's money, having false motives, or whether it's at your own expense, the cost of your money, your calendar, your comfort, Paul is saying, don't let anything, don't let anyone stop you from sharing the gospel from sharing and living the gospel. Now, remember this letter, it's being written to a young church that's facing strong opposition, persecution, uh, probably false accusations, probably having to find creative ways to continue to, to make a living. Uh, again, they'd embraced what was considered by the Jews as a blasphemous faith in believing in Jesus. They had embraced what was considered by many of the local religions as really a wacky faith, that they believe in this, you know, this Messiah who came back to life. And, and then you have the Romans and the more on the political side of things that they had embraced an anti, what was perceived as an anti-Caesar faith, which was not a good thing. And according to Acts 17, uh, it looks like Paul's time there was anywhere from like a month to maybe it was multiple months, we really don't know, but compared to other places where Paul went, it looks like his time with, with the Thessalonians was, was not very long, but it was very effective. Uh, many people believed a church was planted, but again, like most places Paul went, many people also, uh, many people also resisted, and, and again, there were riots, and things really got fired up, and, and so Paul and his, and his uh, companion Silas, they literally had to escape the city at night for their own safety. And so they, they head out from the city and, and Paul, the whole time as they're moving away from the city, he's just got this big burden in his heart. 
He's anxious. He's worried about this young church. Like, oh boy. I mean, they were, they were burning the place down when we left. And, and I mean, how are they doing? They, they were so young. They're just like a baby church. And have they, have they lost their hope? Have they, have they given up on their faith? Have they gone back to their old ways? Has, you know, has opposition pushed them uh, you know, or caused them to stop pursuing Jesus? And so he sends Timothy uh, back to uh, Thessalonica to check on them. And Timothy goes and, and finds out things are actually going really well, comes back and tells Paul. And then this letter, what we're looking at in this series is Paul's response to Timothy's report. But notice that the theme so far in the letter, and really I think the theme for the entire letter, Paul doesn't say to this church that's experiencing incredible opposition and persecution. He doesn't say, okay, church, in the letter. He doesn't say this, okay, church, I know it's tough. So here's how you hide out. Here's how you hunker down until Jesus returns. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, okay, you guys, here's how you stay in the game. You still kind of follow Jesus, but in a safe way, in a way that won't draw attention or opposition or persecution, etc. That That's not what Paul says. In fact, one of the primary reasons for Paul's letter is to remind and encourage this young church that suffering is part of the Christian life. It's just part of the deal. Like, would you, if you're here today and you're a Christian, would you agree that suffering is part of the Christian life? Like, don't, okay, three of you, that's good. <laughs> I, hey, I'd like to talk to the rest of you. What is your secret? Because here, here's the thing that I find is really confusing about the Christian faith. It's like, you know, um, why is it I've given my life to the king of all kings you know, to the, to the one who is loved, to the one who, who can do anything and like on and on and on. Why is it that my life seems to be tougher now in a lot of ways? Why is that? Why does it seem like there's more resistance in my life? And I think a simple way to put it is, you know, when you say yes to Jesus, you now put on a jersey, right? You, you just picked a side and you, there's another team on the field. That is going to come against you. And I, and I think that's one of the things like, I don't, again, we don't, we're not struggling with what the Thessalonians were struggling with. Like you saying yes to follow Jesus, your life is not in danger, I would say. Right? Uh, but, but again, there is incredible opposition. And I think one of the challenging things in the, you know, this side of heaven, in this life following Jesus is, it is, it's the struggle. It's the meantime struggle. It's, it's, it's that place of waiting. It's that place of, you know, uh, uh, being in situations like things that aren't going as you'd hoped, or here's a tougher one. Things aren't going as you prayed or things just don't make sense and, or things are unfair or they hurt or on and on and on. These are the things that really do cause us to, it puts us in a hard place of, of, of really questioning our faith and questioning our belief in Jesus. And I know, again, I, there's a lot of visitors today and that's awesome, but I know many of you, and, and, but I, I think this is a fair assumption that for many of us, if not most of us, we have things we're going through right now, meantime struggles, that are tempting us in some way to, to or at some level, to give up on Jesus. At some level, because you want to keep the foot in, right? But, but it's like, but at some level, and, you know, and, and again, uh, unanswered prayer, chronic issues, like life is hard. Just, and there's a lot of opposition, making it hard to believe and follow. And so in this letter that Paul's writing, and I don't think he's being insensitive. In fact, I think Paul is saying, no, 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 no. 
Keep going, keep going. He's inviting them and us into a deeper, uh, really into a deeper part of the Christian life. I really believe Paul's saying to them in the letter, and, and of course to us, he's saying, hey, don't pull back. Church, don't pull back. No matter how hard it is, don't stop following Jesus. Don't stop being a light. Don't stop serving. Don't stop praying. Don't stop loving. Don't stop looking for opportunities to share your faith. As Journey would say, don't stop believing. Yep. Okay, but Paul, so Paul would say, but now in that challenge, in that challenge, don't hear, and, and, and the way you're going to do that, the way you're going to keep going is you need to try harder. That's not what Paul's saying. You need to grit your teeth and you need to, you know, you need to gut it out, etc. Like Paul is not saying that. Paul is in this letter, he's not saying, hey, you need to know the answer is, is less found in you and, and, and so then he goes on to share, let me share with you the answer that I have found. And really it's the pivotal phrase in this section and it's found in verse two. Paul says this, Paul says, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, and here's the key, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Now, uh, I think it's very easy to go whipping by that section and miss out on, and like literally, it's like it's it's a total nugget. Paul's saying, "Hey, let me let me tell you the answer. Let me tell you what I have found. It it all comes down to with the help of our God. That's what keeps us going. That's what keeps us in these hard places. I mean, think of Paul's story. Before arriving in in Thessalonia, Paul, his buddy Silas, were in the city of Philippi. Everywhere they went, they were talking about Jesus. Yo, you know, telling the story of Jesus, inviting people." To, you know, to, to say yes to Jesus. And when they were in Philippi, they did that. And, and, and uh, what was the result? Again, many people believed. A church was started. But again, uh, many people resisted. Paul and Silas were falsely accused. I mean, like, just think about this. What would it be like? How traumatic would it be to have a riotous mob of people screaming at you and wanting to rid the earth of you? What would that be like? I mean, and literally they, they, they grabbed Paul and Silas, they stripped them, they humiliated them, they beat them with rods, they threw them in jail, their feet were held in stocks. And now, and now imagine they've left Philippi and they're coming up over the hill and there's, you know, there's Thessalonia and they're looking at the city. Do you think Paul's like, you know, uh, he's standing there and he's, he's rubbing the bruises on his back? And there's Silas sitting down. He's changing, maybe changing the bandages on his ankles from the, the wounds of those stalks. And do you think Paul's, you know, looking down the road and he's saying, I don't know, Silas. Like, do you, do you really want to go down there and start talking about Jesus again? Like, do you really want to go into that city? Do we, do we really want to go there and stand up and declare that Jesus is the king of all kings? And he alone is worthy of our allegiance. He alone is worthy of, of our worship, of us giving our lives. Like, like Silas, do we, really, do we really want to do that? Because what if, what if Philippi happens again? Like, like I look at that night, and we need to remember, as, if you're familiar with Paul, Paul you know, really stands out like a really amazing guy, but he wasn't Superman. Paul was just a man, just a human like you, like me. And I'm sure... I'm sure there were many times where Paul's like, you know, like, 
boy, oh boy, <laughs> this following Jesus thing is really hard, right? Like this, this loving and serving people, this loving and serving your enemies, come on, this is, this is really hard. I, I wonder if Paul, you know, again, on his, on his own, ever got to a place of going, I wonder, I wonder if there's a way, if there's another option, if there's a way I can still follow Jesus just enough, so I'm going to go to heaven, but not so much that I offend anyone. Not so much that I actually, you know, stir things up and, and people don't like me. Like, is there a lighter option of Christianity? Now, I think, I think on our own, I think you're going to come to that place of having to make that decision on our own. But then Paul says, but, but how did I stay in the game? Here's what I learned in verse 2 again. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Like, so you get what he's saying there. With the help of our God, we dared to walk into that city and preach the truth of who Jesus is. We dared. We dared to do it. We weren't afraid to do it with the help of our God. And one of the themes in Paul's life, something I don't think this guy ever got over was the depth the incredible, intimate depth of relationship that he had with Jesus. Like Paul, in his teachings, Paul would have taught us that, you know, followers under, you know, he would have taught the churches that followers of Jesus, it's not just embracing a bunch of rules. It's not just embracing, embracing some new ideas. And so, you know, you're a little smarter, maybe you're a little kinder. Paul's like, no, 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 no. This, this following Jesus thing, this being a Christian thing, it's not just embracing the words of Jesus, it's embracing Jesus. It's embracing him. And it's, and it's, like, and it's, it's even more than that. It is so intimate. A relationship with Jesus is so intimate. It's like we actually become part of him. Think about that. Like, if, you know, if you're here today and you've, you've, you'd say, I'm not a Christian or, you know, you're, or you're still curious about Jesus, understand that this is what you're invited into. Like, and, and honestly, I go, I don't even know how to explain it. How do you explain me? It's like an aunt telling his friends how he has an intimate relation with a human being. Well, let me tell you guys. Like, it's like, what? That doesn't seem to compute, but that's what it means to be a Christian, that you are now in Christ. You're in Christ. And, and that was so impactful to Paul that he used that phrase, in Christ, in the Lord, or in him, over 160 times in the New Testament letters, New Testament letters that he wrote. Here's some, here's some examples. Paul said, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That makes all the difference. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, well, then they are a new creation. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Sort of a flip of the words, but same point. The, the difference is Christ in me. In him, we have redemption through his blood. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. On and on and on. Paul's, Paul's basically saying, hey, you want to know the answer here? You want to know the secret to, or the difference in my life, how I can keep doing what I keep doing? It's because I'm in Christ. It's because I've learned to live my life in and from that place of being in Christ. And that is what gives me the strength, etc., to press on in the midst of these meantime struggles. Listen to this quote. We must learn to interpret our life in terms of what God says about us because we are united to Christ. We are in Christ. Paul is encouraging the Thessalonian church to look at their situation in light of this reality and not in light of their suffering and trials. 
Last weekend, uh, Heather talked about how Paul, in the first chapter, he actually brags on the Thessalonian church saying, you guys, you know, he's talking about how quickly they became a model church for other churches to follow. And a good question would be, well, well, how did that happen? Like, what did they do? What did they do to become a model church? And it's like, well, it, it had to be growth. It had to be attendance went through the roof, right? That had to be the reason why they were a model church. They're all, just all these people. Well, that's important and that's awesome. I think a church should be growing. If a church is alive, it should be growing, but that's not why they were a model church. Well, maybe they had a great children's program or their free lunchtime shawarma program. Okay, but what, so what was it that made this young church into a model church? Well, we see it in chapter one, verse six. Paul says, you, talking to the church, you became imitators of us, and more importantly, uh, imitators of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Meaning, Paul's basically saying, this side of heaven, he's saying to us today, this side of heaven, in all the meantime struggles, the way to live a life, the way to live a life that is pleasing to God is simply... And, and, and as challengingly, is it's by following the example of Jesus. And again, that's what it means to be a Christian. It means you're a disciple. You're a follower of Jesus. You're following his example. So what was the example of Jesus when it came to suffering? Right? Jesus, in the face of opposition, suffering, persecution, even martyrdom, Jesus stayed the course, didn't he? So, so how, how did he do it? Well, first of all, he was perfect. Fully God, fully man, that, that sort of helps. But, but, but for our sake, listen to this. What did Jesus have and what did Jesus do that kept him in the game that we also have and can do to keep us in the game? First, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible teaches. Meaning God, through, you know, in a spirit form, came and filled Jesus so all the resources of God are, are in Jesus. And, and, and the Bible teaches that when you say yes to Jesus, when you become a Christian, the Bible says that you too are filled with the Holy Spirit. And let me be really honest about that. And you know what's really cool? Sometimes you feel that. And it really is life-changing when you feel that. But I'll be honest, most times, meantime struggle, most times I don't feel it. But does that mean it isn't true? See, and that's part of the deal. It's learning to believe it's true because he said it, right? So first off, Jesus was filled with the Spirit, and so are we. And then what did Jesus do? Well, well, Jesus, he expected suffering in this life. He expected it, but at the same time, he kept his eye on the prize. He kept his eye on the future where there will be no more suffering, etc. forever. Hebrews 12, 2, but for the joy set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, understand that to, to follow Jesus this side of heaven in the meantime, it means you're going to have to get comfortable with living in attention because Christians are now and not yet people. And what I mean is, and this is something we talk a lot about in the vineyard, is we have experienced the kingdom of God, the presence of God now. We get tastes of it now. But that's why we're taught to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, right? Because we don't have it fully now. But one day, we will fully experience the fullness 
of God's kingdom when Jesus returns. That's what the Bible, that's what the Bible teaches. But there's a tension there, isn't there? Uh, Christians are heavenly-minded people. The Bible teaches, they, I mean, when's the last time you thought about this? The Bible teaches that all of this, all of this is temporary. That's weird, right? What I can see with my eyes, the Bible says, that's temporary. What you can't see, that's what's permanent. We're talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so Christians, we're heavenly minded. We have a, we have a future hope that encourages our present situation. And Paul, you know, <coughs> excuse me. Paul also talks about how that, you know, the, that in, in following Jesus, that, that we can actually have a joy in the midst of our meantime struggles, a joy that goes way beyond anything this world can offer, a joy that is so deep and so strong that no amount of suffering can take it away. And I tell you, you get in touch with that kind of joy, that is a life changer. That's, and that really is, that's all we're all talking about being in Christ. That's where you find that joy. Listen, listen to this quote. Heather read this quote last weekend but it's so good, it needs to be read again. Uh, this is Tim Keller said this, the gospel, right? The good news, being in Christ, if it is really believed, it removes neediness. The need to be constantly respected, appreciated, and well-regarded. The need to have everything in your life go well. The need to have power over others. All of these great Deep needs continue to control you only because the concept of the glorious God delighting in you with all his being is just that, a concept and nothing more. Our hearts don't believe it, so they operate in default mode. Paul is saying that if you want to really change, you must let the gospel teach you. That is to train, discipline, coach you over, over a period of time, over a lifetime. You must let the gospel argue with you. You must let the gospel sink down deeply into your heart until it changes your motivation and views and attitudes. And Paul's saying, he's saying, hey, you guys, the answer is, it's, it's, it's learning more about what does it mean that I'm in Christ? Because what Paul had discovered in his life is like, you know, when you get a, a, a sense of, how good the good news really is and how generous and kind and powerful and wise and on and on and on God really is. Like there is something so freeing when you discover in Christ how rich you are, how loved you are, how, how safe you are, that it really does set you free from neediness. More, more than that, it sets you free from the overwhelming power of fear rejection, pain, death, all the, all the stuff we're going to face in the meantime. And so, so in verse two, Paul doesn't hold back. When him and Silas come into town, they don't hold back, even if it meant more persecution. Why? Well, because Paul had learned, hey, I'm in Christ. So that means my life's not in their hands, that riotous mob. My life is in your hands. So I have nothing to fear. In verse three to six, where it seems like Paul's preaching motives were being slandered by others, saying he was you know, trying to trick people, using flattery, hiding behind masks, going after people's money, all this stuff. It's like all that, all those accusations doesn't, put, doesn't seem to put Paul off at all. It's like he's like Teflon to those hurtful words. Why is that? Uh, verse four, on the contrary, Paul said, we speak as those approved by God 
to be entrusted with the gospel. Can you see, that's a, that's a free man from people's opinions. It's like, what do I care about their approval when I have God's approval? And I, you know, I was praying this morning and I thought, I thought of you. I mean, I thought of getting up this morning. I thought, uh, do you know that God approves of you? Like, what difference would that make in your everyday life to know that God approves of you? And you know, in that God not only approves of you, even even in your struggles, right? Even in all the stuff of life, he approves of you and he trusts you with the most precious, precious thing. The answer for the world, the gospel. He trusts you with the, with the, the truth of Jesus, the story of Jesus. And, and, and so he approves of you. And, and the thing is, it's like, you, we're not approved. And I'm so glad we're not approved because of our performance. That's one we, we trip over constantly. We're approved because of his, his performance, because Jesus got it right. So when God looks at you, when he looks at me, he sees me through Jesus because I'm in Christ. He sees, you know, he sees all my, all my struggles and silliness and foolishness and all this stuff, but, but he approves of me because I am in Christ. Let me read this quote again. We must learn to interpret our life in terms of what God says about us because we are united to Christ. Paul is encouraging the Thessalonian church. He's encouraging us today to look at our situations in light of this reality that you are in Christ not in light of your suffering, your trials, your struggles, your failures, etc. So Paul uh, had learned how incredibly rich he was and that empowered him, set him free to take incredible risks, but it also set him free to, to be incredibly generous with his own life in the way that he, he really loved on other people. Uh, listen to these verses. As the, I'm just going to wrap up the, the section. Verse seven, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother cares for her children. Verse eight, we, were, we not only shared with you the gospel, we also shared with you our very lives. Verse nine, we gladly worked on our own time so that we weren't a burden to you. You know, what, what comes through these words is Paul saying, because we were so rich in Christ. Like, yes, we got tired. We had to take a nap from time to time. But we were so rich in Christ that it was easy to love you. We barely knew you. We, you know, we barely knew you. And, but because of being in Christ, we loved you so much. Verse 11, 12, we treated you like a father does his own kids, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to stay in the game. And all because, all because we had learned and were learning to live our lives from that place of being in Christ. So let me, let me end with this. Why don't we have the worship team come on back? <clears throat> I just want to end with, uh, with this, throw out this question. Uh, so what is your meantime struggle? Like, what is that thing? I talked about this earlier. What is that thing that is tempting you, you know, at some level to disengage with Jesus? And, and really, you're at that place because I, I, it's, it's the human struggle is, is we're living not from in Christ, we're living from in ourselves, Right? And, 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 and if you're going to live from in you, you're going to come to the end of you real quickly. 
So what I mean, what does that mean meantime struggle? What is that relational struggle? What is that in your marriage where it's hard to love that other person, you know, or, or with your kids, parenting your kids, the struggles of parenting or kids with challenging parents or, I mean, or it's health issues or it's emotional issues. It's chronic depression or anxiety and, or sickness and all this stuff of life. What Paul is telling us today, what he's in, inviting all of us into, the hope he's offering us, he's saying, it's only found, it's only found in one place, and that is in Christ. It's found in a relationship with Jesus. And so uh, we're going to transition here and move towards uh, baptism, but I want to say this before we do. You know, if you're here today and you've never started a relationship with Jesus, like I don't, I don't know everyone that's here, which is awesome. I want to say, why not today? Why not today just take a step towards Jesus? And, and in the vineyard, we would say, uh, at the end of our service, we call people forward for prayer. I would encourage you to come on up at that time. And, 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 and we would love to introduce you to Jesus through, through prayer. So if, that, if that's you, I'd love to, uh, you know, just plant that seed, if you will. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.